So hello, this is Heather. I'm here with Karen, and we are so excited to welcome Senator Mannion back to our podcast for a second episode. Welcome, Senator Mannion. Heather and Karen, thank you for having me on again. It's a pleasure. Great. We thought we would start with, um, I think, the the most relevant and biggest topic for us right now, um, and particularly in the last few couple weeks, is about the New York State budget. We know it's... um, been a little late this year, and um, of course, we are on the field uh, in the field of um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, very interested, and have been advocating very heavily for the 8.5 percent COLA and uh, wage enhancement. So, I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit about you know the budget process, where you think it's headed. Do you feel like there's more that we can do? as advocates um, to bring, you know, more people into this and to let the governor know, um, you know, where we stand? Sure. Well, you know, thank you for having me on because I do think that doing things like this is a part of uh, making sure that people are aware of uh, a historical perspective and the importance of advocacy. So as, as the three of us know, um, this system it has been underappreciated, undervalued, and underfunded from state government for over a decade. And we were fortunate um, in my first year as disabilities chair to get a small percent cost of living adjustment, and then a significant one last year, a 5.4% uh, increase. But um, we know that the challenges are great out there, and our, our number one challenge is related to workforce. So we we have to support our voluntary providers so that they can support their employees and make sure that they're providing them with a, a decent wage. So, um, you know, the, the budget is uh, supposed to be completed by April 1st, and here we are talking in the middle of April. So mm-hmm. that lets you know that we're, <laughs> we're overdue. <laughs> uh, state workforce is being uh, paid. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, the legislators are not, but but that's a story for another day. Mm-hmm. And we have an important issue, so I certainly understand all of that. Um, you know, I'm going to take the wage enhancement piece first, which is, you know, not the greatest of news. I, I don't I, – I am certainly a supporter of it, and I feel like it is absolutely necessary to uh, do something like this so that we have – basically a standalone enhancement or minimum wage for our DSPs. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to need to push on that, but my optimism related to the budget is just not very optimistic, honestly. Um, So we're back to the COLA. So the cost of living adjustment, the governor led with her executive budget, and this is a a couple months ago now, with a 2.5% increase. And her justification is that we've had two increases. But as, as we all know, uh, inflation has made things more challenging. We've had to compete in the job market, which means that we have to enhance salaries for our individuals uh, who are working directly with individuals with disabilities. And as a result, um, you know, those challenges are great. So we need to support that. And I was happy to be a leader in, on the Senate side to support an 8.5% cost of living adjustment. And they did the same in the assembly. Um, There is now, we are in the midst of negotiations and not to go on another tangent, but there's a lot of conversations and I won't go into too much detail related to criminal justice reform, 
re related to our transition to a, a cleaner, greener energy system and housing. And those are just a few things. So um, the good news is that the advocacy for people uh, with developmental disabilities is very strong. I do believe we have the attention of my leadership and the governor and leadership in the assembly that we really have to support this community significantly because of the, the challenges that have grown even greater over the last decade. So um, I am uh, hopeful uh, that, you know, that we get somewhere significantly above 5%. I do not have any inside information, but I will tell you that it's not just uh, the OPWDD quote unquote community that's involved. It involves all of the O agencies. So I'm yep. partnering with Senator Brooke, who's the chair of mental health. So she uh, is is advocating for an 8.5% increase for OMH. Uh, Senator Fernandez is our uh, new chair this year of uh, substance abuse. So she is pushing for a significant increase for OASIS. Um, we have uh, Office of the Aging and uh, Office of uh, Children and Family Services, mm -hmm. and then Otada Alto. So mm -hmm. uh, not to ramble on, but we have a coalition, and that coalition is uh, standing strong, understanding where we are with funding over the past several years and where we need to be. So we're, we're demanding 8.5%. 2.5% is not going to cut it. And uh, we hope that the negotiations are going well. I get briefed occasionally and constantly provide information to the people doing that, those negotiations of, of exactly the challenges that an organization um, that supports people is in across the state. So uh, that was a little bit long, um, and I didn't even answer part of your question, though. So, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I think you gave us a lot yeah. um, for that, and I, I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But I was sitting, as I'm sitting here um, listening to you, I think about the people who are connected with our agency, whether it's staff or family members or loved ones, um, from your perspective, why is it important for, for people um, to really be advocating for these increases? I mean, is it important that they send in the letters or make the phone calls or take the time to try to visit with you, even right now? Why is that important? It absolutely is important. It's important because there are so many things that are important issues in New York State and that uh, I often say this when we're talking about the Department of Health in New York State or the health budget would be a better way to say it because I am on the health budget work group. I say that that health budget is made of a thousand cubes and, and the disabilities cube is just one cube stuck over there in the corner. And unfortunately, because uh, I think uh, partially because of that is why we're in such a tough situation that we are because in in you know advocacy for um, what we would call traditional healthcare sort of uh, dynamics, that that has eaten up a lot of the focus. And mm -hmm. so now, um, also as a former teacher, uh, a biology teacher, not a math teacher, I I should stop saying that. <laughs> I don't can make a cube out of a thousand cubes. It's got to be some <laughs> other number. But anyway, um, but but. Uh, but it, it is effective. I mean, my office uh, 
you know, sometimes it's the senator or the assembly person picking up the phone, but most of the time it's a staff member. And in my office, every call is logged. Uh, reports mm-hmm. are sent to me. And and those calls to people are, uh, you know, to elected officials are important. I do think emails are important, but I certainly think the calls are. And, you know, a handwritten letter or a note is important as well. But the call is an easy thing to do. And many times uh, folks, you know, can prepare ahead of time as to what they're going to say. And um, and I hear that. I hear it loud and clear. In a world where there's people and for a whole number of things, uh, I think it's I think it's the most effective way is to pick up the phone and call because that elected official will hear about it. And what is a little bit frustrating, and I may have said this on the show the last time, is when there are advocacy campaigns like Fair Pay for Home Care, um, I have to do my own education of my colleagues that we're talking about home care versus direct care. Mm, and that, right. that in that advocacy, that is not catching a significant part of the population that are working with individuals with developmental disabilities. So so be aware of that. The problem is not solved. We did not fix this. We didn't catch this community in that bucket. So, so an, a brief informed message to legislators, I find in the short time that I've been a senator for two years and a few months, it's very effective. That's that's really an important distinction too. That education piece as to what the issues are, and I I love kind of tracking some of these advocacy trends, um, particularly in the DSP field. And I would say, as wonderful as as it is, as you point out, to make a call or write that handwritten letter. If someone's feeling pressed for time, I found those one-click advocacy efforts that go directly, you know, to your office and into the um, yep. assembly as well to say, hey. You know, we, we, we stand behind the DSPs, um, are, are also so wonderful and to me so heartwarming to see how robust those kind of advocacy efforts are in highlighting the importance of that one cube. Absolutely. So I find it effective. Calls to the governor and uh, are going to be important as well, you know, but I can only speak to what I saw, uh, what I see and, and, and hear. And I made those calls and I sent those emails when I was advocating for my issues long before I was running and it is uh, validating for me as an elected official to know uh, at least in my office that it that it had an impact and it didn't just go you know into a spam folder or uh, you know was never documented so um, for the elected officials that are out there that are doing it right and I do think that the majority of us are um, that it's effective, it has an impact, and and don't be discouraged uh, by a lack of immediate action. It needs to be consistent and constant uh, to be effective. Well, you know that one thing that I had written down that I wanted to make sure I made a point of, um, and it's it's my opinion, but it's your visibility as a legislature is just top notch. I mean, you are always out there in the community. Your communication. Um, are on point, they're clear, and I do think they serve to educate the populace and also remind them that you never seem to lose sight that you are an elected official and you're out there to serve, you know, your community. Um, Can you talk about the importance of that visibility and accessibility and and why it seems that you lead with that in everything you do? Well, it's very kind of you, and, (laughs) you know, I am a hard worker. I'd say my mother wouldn't recognize me, (laughs) but, uh, but, um, 
but I'm, I'm passionate about it. And the people that are parents or work with individuals are passionate about it because it, it is a vocation. It, it is something that chooses them, honestly. And, and that was the case with me. You know, I have members of my family that uh, are uh, one, uh, my aunt has passed away, but other members of my family that have a diagnosis and it, it drives you. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I will say that I appreciate the compliment, but, uh, learning the system, um, uh, that is complex and bureaucratic sometimes. And, um, uh, knowing, you know, I, I relied on, uh, folks like you two to help educate me very quickly. You know, I was elected in November of, uh, 2020 and in January of 2021, I'm named disabilities chair and you got to, you know, the, the learning curve has to be steep because, uh, there's a lot to learn. So I appreciate that, but, um, I'm glad to hear that, that I at least seem engaged and informed and I'm visible (laughs) because I care about it. I work about it. And I also know I feel great responsibility in being disabilities chair because if I'm not speaking up for individuals with disabilities in the Senate, in the legislature, um, I, I would expect that others will not be. So I, it's my duty to continue to highlight the issues that are present and then advance legislation or budget priorities that are going to try to help. Uh, I'm going to use the word solve, but it's going to be hard to solve. But what we need long-term solutions and we need short-term fixes. And those are not easy to come by uh, in as dynamic of a community as we're existing in. So anyway, um, but I appreciate it. And well, you know, it's, it's important uh, to point out when, when someone is really doing such a wonderful job, and we're just happy to play a, a small role in that with the podcast and in educating people. I was sharing with Karen, your last episode was listened to in over seven countries. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. So. I hope one of them was the United States. Yes. Uh, it's, so. It certainly was, but hopefully you're not surprised Ireland was the second. Great. Well, I got a couple cousins over there. <laughs> They're, uh, as as uh, We're out of March, but as anybody who's Irish knows, uh, um, you know, I'm happy to still have their support as family members over there mm-hmm. in Ireland, my cousins. So we'll see if they had a couple clicks on there. There you go. I just want to circle back to something that you had mentioned about um, issues related to our field. Not only um, is it about the wages um, for DSPs and the COLAs, and when I say DSPs, for those listening, direct support professionals, um, are there other issues and priorities that you feel um, we need to collectively work together on the advocacy side in education when it's related to people with developmental disabilities? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I again, some of my answers have been long here, but I'm going to rattle off some things that we did get accomplished. You know, one of mm-hmm. them is um, at the as we are, you know, still in the midst of of the COVID dynamic. Era, if we're going to say we're in the, you know, we're not in the throes of the pandemic like we were, but you know, we um, we had legislation to uh, create a report. You know, a, a report on how. COVID was handled in the state as it related to individuals with disabilities. Uh, I also had a piece of legislation to launch an anti-stigma campaign um, Mm. related to individuals with autism. That should be up and launched here 
very soon around the state. Great. Um, uh, we also have legislation related to, um, you know, these are things that are that are over the line already uh, as far as employment goes um, and um, an employability pledge that, uh, you know, uh, employers would would take on and say that I am committed to hiring individuals with disabilities. So we also important. passed with uh, um, changes to the preferred source program, mm -hmm. so not-for-profits and and uh, private companies can secure state contracts and and employ a significant number of individuals with disabilities. Um, we passed the shared decision-making. Um, law, the, sometimes called the Britney Spears law. I didn't think that would be the case, but so, so that individuals, individuals should have a part in, in their decision making when, a, you know, uh, when they want that. And uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to go, you know, we made sure that to the Autism Spectrum Disorders Board, um, that there were appointments for uh, self-advocates on that board. Mm -hmm. And I actually spoke with a constituent yesterday who has, um, She's an adult. She's expressed, you know, that she she has a couple of degrees and she's employed, but she has interest in that board. And I'm I'm hoping that we can help her with that, and also to speed up the process of of navigating through the OPWDD and get quick answers out of them. Um, uh, some funding victories, uh, you know, I I. Uh, individuals with disabilities often it can be a challenge in any health setting i'm going to list list a couple of these here uh last year i secured seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the budget a hundred these are for fellowships for dental students to work specifically an additional year fellowship at the six dental schools in new york state to work with individuals with disabilities wow. so that there's uh, they're focused on that community so that they can provide the care because often individuals will end up, uh, you know, in a hospital setting and having to perform much more in invasive procedures to help them. Um, Special Olympics New York, a Best Buddies program, and, um, you know, a pilot program with DSPs. So I know I said a lot there, but but our, our challenges are so varied uh, as it relates to employment, housing, access to services, and beyond, that that uh, I'm fortunate to be partners with many people who work at, uh, you know, with different providers and self-advocates and other advocates to the things that need to be done, and, and we take action when we hear those things, and fortunately, in a relatively short period of time, we've actually got some good things into the law that are going to help individuals hopefully moving forward i think that's great i mean the it's a you know a fantastic list of things that you've been able to accomplish in you know the short time that you've been there and that's why we're so happy to have you on our team and really out there supporting um those that we um are so fortunate to support and um help uh, in their lives i just have one other comment i wanted to make you had mentioned that you're also on the i think you said the health department of health health budget work health group, budget right? Yes, yes. So as we, I not to interrupt, but as we approach the budget, so this was back in February, um, I would be a part of uh, sort of a a breakaway group that would focus on uh, the areas of the budget as it relates to the health budget. So I, I said DOH initially, I should have said health budget work group. So it's a Senate health budget work group where we are trying to prioritize different um, items that would be within, uh, you know, the 
broad spectrum of quote-unquote health, and and it was from that group that the 8.5% COLA ended up in our one-house budget. Gotcha. I, thank you for yeah. um, just talking about that a little bit more. Um, so I think it's it's time, correct, Heather, for you to, to turn it over to ask a, a few more of uh, the lightning round questions? Yes, ab- <laughs> absolutely. So if you recall from the, the first podcast we did, Senator Mannion, we, we love to ask a couple of lightning round questions that are a little bit lighter and more fun because I think it's nice for – you know, people to see the man behind the senator. <laughs> well, I, you know, I appreciate the words lightning round because it'll hopefully keep my answers short. <laughs> <laughs> but no, be, and before we get into those, I do just want to again say thank you for, for, for providing so many details and really helping. Uh, you know, this is this podcast we like to think of as an education and an advocacy tool mm-hmm. to get that message out there. And with a guest like yourself who is so well-versed on so many of these important issues and all the different facets of those issues, um, it's it's very invaluable to be able to have you on. That's right. So Well, I, I'm glad you take the initiative to do it. I appreciate you uh, having me on again. And uh, so this is, this is good stuff. It's important work. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I'm happy to do it. So well, thank you. Awesome. Well, so without further ado, <laughs> what is your favorite holiday? I've got to go with Christmas. Uh, St. Patrick's Day would be too easy, but, <laughs> but Christmas is a is a very big holiday in our family, and we always watch It's a Wonderful Life on mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, and we have our own Christmas traditions like many families do, and, uh, um, you know, in very Syracuse, nice. New York, it's a great place to celebrate it. Absolutely. Okay. How about your favorite Syracuse tradition? So... I think I would go with the St. Patrick's Day Parade. You know, I get to see a lot of people that uh, typically on St. Patrick's Day, but I get to see a lot of people that I grew up with. I get to see Mm -hmm. new uh, folks, and and, uh, I am proud of my Irish heritage, and uh, my wife is as well, and my kids are. So it gives us a chance to see a lot of people we uh, love, uh, old and new, and uh, and celebrate that heritage. It's probably one of my favorite traditions, too. I have a lot of vivid memories as a little kid going down to the Syracuse St. Patrick's Day Parade. <laughs> so yeah. rain or shine or snow, mostly <laughs> rain. <laughs> yeah. oh. And finally, your favorite place to vacation. So it's the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Um my wife uh, always had a two-week family vacation up there as she was growing up, and my family not quite as significant as that. But um, but because of that, uh, it's a it was a frequent trip with our kids uh, as they were growing up, and you know uh, we still go up there. And once you uh, hit those uh you start at the foothills of the adirondack mountains you know all everything seems to fade away and those stresses go away and you breathe a little easier so uh the adirondacks is a great place and i'm i don't think i get a lot of disagreement on that so Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty popular opinion (laughs) yeah absolutely it is uh, yes a lot of great memories there well here's to getting to enjoy some time in the adirondacks this summer and and take a break once this budget is over it's much deserved and we just want to say thank you again so much for the significant contribution you make to our field and for the time here today yes thank you so much for being on our podcast again thank you so much and we'll continue pushing together thank you
Thank Disclaimer, you. the views, ideas, and opinions expressed in this podcast are only those of the individuals involved and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Arco Nida Lewis chapter, the Arc New York, or any other agency, organization, employer, or company.